She is more precious than rubies, and all the things thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. Length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is every one that retaineth her. You may be seated. Good morning. Excuse me. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers here. I especially want to recognize my father, and I know I've shared this before. Um, one of the greatest blessings that I've received um, from him over the years is what he taught me in the scriptures to take it for what it says and not make it to say something that it doesn't even say. This was something that he lived out in his life and was something that he taught me. And I'm very grateful for that because it's a huge part of my Christian life. So what makes a father a father? It isn't that hard to become one. You get married and you have children. But it takes a lifetime of learning how to truly be a father, one who loves and cares for his children. Many children across our world don't have a father. In America, 18.4 million children, or one in four children, live without a biological step or adopted father in the home. That's enough children to fill New York City twice, or Los Angeles for four times over. A fatherless home leads to a negative impact on the children. 85% of youth, of youth in prison come from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. Ne nearly 25 million children live with their, without their biological father. 60% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 85% of all children who show behavior disorders come from fatherless homes, which is 20 times the average. And this isn't even counting the homes where the father is maybe present, but has a bad influence on the children, whether it's from a, um, abuse of some kind. So what makes a father a good father? There are all kinds of materials out there that we can read that tell us what makes a good father. Is being a good father going to work every day and bringing a paycheck home every week? Providing for your family? Or maybe it's trying to be the best friend of your children, to your children. And we try to do that by playing games with them every day for a couple hours. Or maybe it's taking them hunting or fishing when the season opens up. Or by taking your children, your son, to the ball game. All these things are good to do with your sons. But at the end of life, what does it do for them? 
If that is all you do, then what you do for them is pointless. There is no value in it at all. I believe the greatest things that we can do as fathers for our children, and especially for our sons, is to teach them. Teach them wisdom. The title of the sermon today is Fathers as Teachers. And I trust, I know some of you aren't fathers, I trust we can all learn um, something in the sermon today. If nothing else, learn the value of a good father. So what is so important about teaching your sons? Us as fathers have a huge responsibility in teaching our sons wisdom as found in Proverbs. When we teach our sons, they will then lead the women in their life. When we teach our sons, it will have a huge impact on the way that they will lead in their homes when they get married. When we teach our sons, it will greatly affect the future of our church. They will grow up and be leaders. They will be pastors of this church. When we teach our sons, it will make a difference on the way the school is run by the school board and how committees in the church is operated. When we teach our sons, the gospel message will spread through men leading out in mission organizations. When we teach our sons, they will teach others what they have been taught. They will teach in Sunday school class and devotions, and they will teach in Bible studies. The opposite is also true when we don't teach our sons. They won't lead the women in their life. The women will lead them. Their homes will fall apart, and they will have a negative impact on their children. Our church won't be a true church of Jesus Christ and will die off. Our schools won't be a Christian school, or we'll close its doors because we send our children to public schools. There won't be any mission organizations. The Sunday school classes, devotions, and Bible studies will turn into a time of entertainment, fulfilling the lust of our flesh. It is important that we teach our sons. In Exodus 25 to 6, we can see the impact of fathers who teach their sons. And it says, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments." The sins of the fathers will have an effect on their children, on our children, and will have an effect up to the third and fourth generation. The sins that you commit today as a father will affect your great-great-grandchildren. But when we love God and keep his commandments, he will show mercy on many, many generations. 
The way that a father will teach his sons will have an impact on many generations, not only the generations, but also the nation that you live in. I'm going to be, for the rest of the time here, be looking out of Proverbs. So if you want to have your Bibles open there, that'd be great. I'm going to look again at the, the question about the primary rule of a father. What is the rule of a father in a home? It is not bringing home a paycheck every week. It is not being, a bu- being busy getting all the projects done around the house. It is not even about having a buddy-buddy relationship with your son. The most important role in the home for the father is to teach them wisdom. And we see this over and over again here in Proverbs. We start, them, we start teaching them when they are babies, and we continue to teach them till they leave our home. In teaching our children, this involves knowing your children, knowing your sons, relating them relating with them in a way that you teach them, being involved in their lives, learning how God made them, what are their strengths and weaknesses, what are their personalities like, what are their gifts. In this book of Proverbs, Solomon is trying to teach his son, and we, we can see that in the first couple of chapters. One, chapter 1, verse 8, it says, My son, hear Chapter 1, verse 10, My son, if sinners entice. One fifteen. My son, walk not. Chapter 2, verse 1, My son, if thou wilt receive. And chapter 3, verse 1, My son, forget not. And so on. There are 22 times where Solomon says, My son, and instructs him with something. We must do the same for our sons as well. And it's not to say that we shouldn't teach our daughters as well. But like I said, our sons will grow up to be leaders. They will be a great influence to the next generation. In Proverbs 4, 3 to 4, Solomon tells his testimony of how his father treated him. For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of of my mother. He taught me also and said unto me, Let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments, and live. Solomon is now passing on the commandments that his father taught him to his son. The book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom. It gives us instructions to right living, how we are to live out our life. Proverbs often gives us the contrast between the wise and the foolish men the righteous and the unrighteous. It also gives us the consequence of the path taken. The instructions and consequences that are given here in Proverbs are not necessarily promises, but they are warnings to us. We can see the purpose of for writing this book in Proverbs 1, 1 to 6. And I'll just read that. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity, to give subtility to the simple, to the young man, notice a young man, knowledge and discretion, 
A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To, pro- to understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. One of the purposes for, for um, Proverbs is for the young men, your sons, so they can gain knowledge and discretion. And young men, if you want to be wise, you must hear the wisdom that your father tells you and, is, and always be teachable to the ways of God. The definition of wisdom found here in Proverbs is the ability to discern or judge what is true, right, or lasting. Different times in Proverbs, wisdom is referred to in the feminine form. Proverbs 1, 20 and 21. Wisdom crieth without. She uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of concourse, in the openings of the gates. In the city she uttereth her words, saying... And also Proverbs 2, 4, this verse is speaking about wisdom. If thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasures. And also Proverbs 8, 1 to 3, does not wisdom cry and understanding put forth her voice? She standeth in the top of high places by the way in the places of the paths. She crieth at the gates, at the entry of the city, at the coming in, at the doors. And there's other times in Proverbs where wisdom is referred to in the feminine form. But why is wisdom um, in the feminine form? Why does it speak to speak of it as that? If you remember, Solomon is speaking to his son. Just like a husband knows his wife and wants to know his wife in an intimate way, in the same way Solomon wants his son to pursue wisdom. To get to know wisdom, not just in a casual sense, but that wisdom is his lifelong companion. It is a deep relationship with wisdom. Foolishness is also found in the feminine form. Both wisdom and foolishness is crying out for men to embrace her in an intimate way. And we can see that in chapter 9, where it gives us the difference between the wise and the foolish. I'm going to read a verse from Proverbs 23, 26. And this is wisdom speaking to the son. My son, give me thine heart, and let thine eyes observe my ways. Give me thine heart. Again, we see an intimate connection with the son and wisdom. Wisdom is crying out, wanting to get attention from those who would hear. And I read Proverbs 1.21. Wisdom cries without. She utters her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of concourse, in the openings of the gate. In the city, she utters her words, saying, Wisdom is standing along the street at the busiest part of the city. She's also at the openings of the gates, where many people are going in and out. And as she is standing there, she is crying out loudly for all to hear. And again in Proverbs 8, 1 to 3, it's the same way. Wisdom is crying out um, where there are many people crying. 
She, she's there where there's many people crying out to them as they pass by. <clears throat> Solomon encourages his son to answer the call of wisdom before it is too late. Proverbs 2, 1-4, My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and, and apply thine heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge and listest, liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hidden treasures. We are to teach our sons to search for wisdom till they find it. Search for it just like you would for hidden treasures that is high value. Pursue wisdom with all that you got. So what is the purpose of teaching your sons wisdom? Proverbs 10.1, it says, A wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. There is joy in a parent's heart when their children when their sons follow the ways of God. A son, a son that follows after foolishness brings sorrow and grief to his mother, and especially to his mother because she is the one who gives birth to him and cared for him. Also, another purpose of teaching her sons wisdom, Proverbs 23, 24, and 25, it says, the father of the, of the righteous shall greatly rejoice, and he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. Thy father and thy mother shall be glad, and she that bear thee shall rejoice. There is rejoicing in the home when a son gets wisdom. Young men, if you want to make your parents happy and rejoice, get wisdom. Pursue after wisdom. And let wisdom have control of your heart. So what exactly do you teach your son? What words of wisdom do we teach them? And we're going to be looking at five different instructions that Solomon gives to his son and talk a little bit about that. And then we can apply that same lesson to our sons. And there are more than five here in Proverbs, but that's all the time that I'll take to this morning. The first lesson, what to teach your son, is found in Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The lesson to teach your son is that the fear of the Lord is the very beginning. It is the foundation of knowledge or wisdom. What is the fear of the Lord? We are commanded over 40 times in the Bible to fear God. To have the fear of the Lord is not a negative thing. Where we are afraid of God as Christians. The fear of the Lord is a positive thing that helps us to grow in our relationship with God. When we have the fear of the Lord, it recognizes His power, His authority, and His holiness. When we have the fear of the Lord, we understand in a small way who God is, that He hates sin and will bring judgment to sin, and also how He is a rewarder 
to them who diligently seek him. The fear of the Lord, when we have that, it believes that God is the creator of the world and also that God will make all things right in the end, in judgment. The fear of the Lord is a sign of complete trust in God, that we believe in him and not in ourselves, that we surrender our lives to him. And just like it says in Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. The fear of the Lord, it causes us to recognize that we are bankrupt without God, that we are worthless, that there is nothing within us that pleases God apart from him. The fear of the Lord brings us to true worship to God. Proverbs 8.13, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy, and the evil way, and the froward mouth do I hate. The fear of the Lord hates evil. This is what we need to teach our sons, that we need to have the fear of the Lord in our life. Do your sons and daughters know about the fear of the Lord? Do they see that in your own life as fathers? How you are depending upon the Lord and on Him alone. Do they see that in your life and how you worship? How you make it a priority to worship God? In your private devotions? In family devotions? And also in making it a priority to come to church? What are some of the of the blessings of those who fear the Lord. And think about this as you teach your sons the blessing that they will receive. It gives you a longer life. Proverbs 10, 27. The fear of the Lord prolongeth days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. Another blessing that we see about the fear of the Lord, it gives a strong confidence and a place of refuge. Proverbs 14, 26. And the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. Another blessing that we see is it gives eternal life. Proverbs 14, 27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. Another blessing that we see is it brings riches, honor, and life. Proverbs 22, 4. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Teach your sons to fear God. Another lesson that we should teach our sons is found in Proverbs 3, 1. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. Teach your sons not to forget your law and to keep the commandments, to keep wisdom in his heart. Especially looking at the keeping wisdom in his heart. The word keep means to guard. We are to teach our sons to guard wisdom in their heart. And the heart that is talking about here is referring to the mind. We're to teach our sons to guard their mind. What did Jesus say about the heart? Mark 7, 20-23. And he said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. From, when, from, 
For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murderers, thefts, covetous, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. It's the, the things that are in our heart or the mind is what defile us. It makes us unclean. It's from within, not the outside. We need to keep our mind, our hearts pure. When our hearts are pure, we change the outside. Proverbs 4.23, it says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. What you do, what you do comes from your heart. Is it good things or bad things? We need to teach our sons how to guard their heart or their mind. Proverbs tells us how to, how to tell them to do that, how to tell your sons to, to keep guard their heart and their mind. They are to bind them about their neck, the commandments that he gives them, or wisdom. They are to write them on the table of their heart. Solomon teaches his son two other times in this book to do this, to bind them about, about thy neck and write them upon the table of thine heart. Our world today has many things to feed our heart with. Most of it is not good at all. We need to teach our sons how to discern what is good and what is bad. We need to teach our sons what to feed their minds with and what to block out. What is good and truth? We need to teach our sons how to keep that in. Satan is constantly trying to fill up our minds with corrupt things, deceitful things, so that there is no room for truth or that it blurs out the truth. Proverbs 4.4, 4, it says, He taught me also and said unto me, let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments, and live. He's telling his son to let his heart hold fast to his words or to his doctrines, like it says in verse 2. Hold the doctrine tightly. The children of Israel had the scriptures bound to their hands and to their foreheads as reminders to to them whom they serve, and so that they could live in obedience to God. What are your sons feeding their minds with? Teach them to fill their minds with that which is truth, and to guard it, to keep it. Teach them how to filter, how to block out that which is evil. The evil can be anything that is corrupt and immoral to anything that is false doctrine. Guard your mind. The next lesson that we see here in Proverbs, um, Proverbs 1, verse 8. My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Teach your son to obey his parents. There are different verses here in Proverbs that Solomon tells his son to listen to him. Hear my words. Solomon is teaching his son 
right things. He's teaching him wisdom. In order for his son to live right, to follow after wisdom, he needs to listen to his father and be obedient to his words. Solomon encourages him to hold fast his instructions to him. In order for your son, for Solomon's son, to understand the authority structure that God set up in the home, your son needs to see the father under the, the authority of others. He needs to see that in your life. And that authority that you need to be under is, is in the church and also with the local government and maybe even possibly with his employer. Does he see that in the father's life? When we teach our son to obey our instructions, we are teaching him that it is, that it is important to obey God when he is on his own, away from his parents, and that he's always under authority till the day that he dies. The word instruction that we see in Proverbs 8 means discipline, correction. When we discipline our children, we are punishing what was done wrong. We are trying to correct what was done wrong. The father is teaching his son to hear the discipline, the correction. It is a loving father who corrects what was wrong through discipline. A father who disciplines out of anger is not trying to correct anything, but is doing it with pride in his life. We need to be careful as we discipline. When, but when we discipline out of love, we need to do it with humility. It's for the sake of the children, the child, the son, when we discipline. And our desire when we discipline is, is so that it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness. There are blessings for the son who lives in obedience to his parents. Proverbs 4.22, and this verse is talking about the sayings that Solomon gives to his sons. For they are a life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. It brings life to the son, and also it brings healing to the son's body. And also Proverbs 1.9, it says, For they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head, and chains about thy neck. And this is speaking about the instruction and law of the parents that they teach. The ornament of grace and chains about his neck speaks of honor, guidance, and protection. Fathers, teach your son to obey those in his authority. <clears throat> the next lesson that we can see here in Proverbs is Proverbs 1, 10 to 15. I'm going to read those verses. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not, if they say, come with us, let us lay, a wa lay wait for blood. Let us lurk privately for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive as a grave and whole as those that go down into the pit. We shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our homes with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us and let us all have one purse. My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path. Teach your sons to choose good friends. Teach your sons not to be friends with sinners. The sinners with their friends go after the innocent people. 
just for the sake of having fun. They destroy the life of the innocent so that they can gain for themselves, so that they can be made rich. And we can do that in so many different ways. Be careful how you choose your friends. They bring injury to others. Your son needs to learn to say no to invitations of wrongdoing with sinners. The pressure is high, but he needs to learn to do what is right, even, even if he's all alone. Teach your sons to choose good friends. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. And the word communications means company. Evil company corrupts good manners. We cannot remain pure when we are constantly with bad friends. Our good manners will become corrupt. The things that you've been taught from little for with bad company, it will be corrupt. If that is true for us, even as adults, how much truer is it for a young man who is new in the faith of Jesus Christ? Proverbs 17, 17, and this is the opposite from what we read about in Proverbs 1 of the sinners and their friends. A friend loveth at all times. A brother is born for adversity. The friends that, you, that your son chooses should be a friend who has love for others, not one who takes, who takes things, pleasure, or whatever for himself. Proverbs 13.20, it says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Teach your sons that they will become who their friends are. If their friends, if your friends follow after folly, so will you. If your friends are wise, you will become wise as well. Fathers, teach your sons to choose their friends carefully. The next lesson that we can see here in Proverbs, I want to talk about is Proverbs, I want to read from Proverbs 2, 16 and 19. To deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the stranger which flattereth with her words, which forsaketh the guide of her youth, and forgetteth the covenant of her God. For her house inclineth unto death, and her paths unto the dead. None that go unto her return again, neither take they hold of the paths of life. This is speaking about the harlot, the strange woman. Teach your son to keep himself from the harlot, or teach him the importance of purity. The book of Proverbs covers this subject at least five different times that I could see. In the previous chapters here in Proverbs 2, it is talking about the importance of getting wisdom. And then it gives the reason in verse 16 of why we get wisdom to deliver thee from the strange woman. Sexual temptations catches men when they are not prepared. It comes in a way that lures them in. In chapter 2 and also in chapter 7, where it talks about the same thing, it talks about how the harlot uses flattery words to draw the men, to draw the man into her house. And in chapter 7, 
it talks how the man was not discerning. He didn't have wisdom. He didn't know from right or wrong. He wasn't seeking after wisdom at all. And because of that, he was in the wrong section of the city and was passing by the corner where the harlot often waited for her man. Because he didn't have wisdom, he was in the wrong part of the city. He wasn't at a place where he should have been. If we want to be pure, we need to discipline ourselves. This young man, like I said in chapter 7, had no discipline. He was going however he wanted to go. This is something that will wreck a man's life. It will bring him to death, like we see in chapter 2, verse 18, and also in chapter 7, verse 23. <clears throat> Not only will it wreck his life, but also the life of his family. Proverbs 6, 27 and 29, it says, For by, for by means of a worse woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt, will hunt for the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon high coals and his feet not be burned? So he that goeth to in to his neighbor's wife, whosoever touches her shall not be innocent. There is no innocent, there is no room for innocence. He is guilty when he goes to his neighbor's wife. What do you expect when we take high coals? You will be burned. Or even when you go upon hot coals, your feet will also be burned. When we mess around with fornication, it will bring destruction in our own life and also in the lives of those around us. 1 Corinthians 6.18, it says, Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. There's not too many times in the Bible where God tells us to flee from sin. But here it does. Flee fornication. Get out of the situation as fast as you can. And I like what David Jeremiah often says. Get the best Adidas running shoes you can get and run. Fathers, teach your sons to stay away from the harlot and to have pure thoughts. Teach them wisdom so that they can be pure. The next lesson that I have here that we can teach her, that we ought to teach our sons, is found in Proverbs 6, 6 to 11. Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which, having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her, her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou rise out of thy sleep? Yet the little sleep a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and they want as an armed man. The lesson that we see here is teach your child, teach your son to work. There are many people that work just enough so that they have enough to live off of. And then the rest of the day there's do whatever they want. There are other people who depend on others while they lay in bed or on the couch all day. And I know there are some people that can't work, but I'm not talking about these kind of people. 
And there are other people who work only when the manager or their boss is around. And yet there are other people who work well from the time that they clock in to the time that they leave. These people are whom Proverbs would call a wise son, not only at work, but even at home. Teach your son to work. In these, in these verses, Solomon is encouraging his son to see how the ants work. And we look at an ant colony, we can see we can learn a lot. <clears throat> the ants are all busy working, doing what they need to do. They're not showing any signs of drama or showing off. They're providing food in the time of harvest. There's no boss over them. They all know what they are to do, and they do it well. And I think when they see a need, they meet that need. We need to teach the young men how to work. We need to teach them that laziness is something that can destroy their life. And that we need to work to survive, just like the ants do. We need to be able to provide for our families. And I think when we work, there's also a blessing when we can give above and beyond what, what we need to survive. We need to teach our sons that. Be able to give to others when we make more than what we need. We can see the results of one who is lazy in verse 11. It says that you will become poor. You will become in need and struggle to survive. Fathers, teach your son to work. Teach them the importance of providing. Teach them the importance of working to provide for their families. How important is it for us as fathers to be teachers? It is something that is very important. And the sad thing about it, if we don't teach them, Satan will. And he will bring your son to ruin. This sermon has been a challenge for me as I studied, and I want to do my best in raising my son to love God. And I hope that you didn't get the drift that you don't need to teach your daughters. They need to be taught as well. And I hope you sisters didn't feel left out. But I feel that we need to teach our sons more so that they can teach the next generation, so that they can teach the women in their life. I trust that we all can teach our sons wisdom, the way of life, so that they in turn can teach their sons. Let's kneel to pray.